Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michaud. And today we're going to be talking about the full moon in the third decan of Libra. Uh, I'm joined here by my good friend, Shu Yap. How are you doing today, Shu? I'm very good, thank you, Spencer. It's a uh, good Easter morning here in Australia. And thanks for everyone for the accommodating all the different time zones that we've been in and trying to find a suitable time to meet. Yeah, yeah. It's a... Uh... We're always kind of splitting the difference when we're on two different uh, sides of the world, you know. So mm-hmm. sorry to my yes. European friends who are going to get the the, uh, the late night today, um, but we'll make it work. Um, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Before we get started today, um, I just need to make a small disclaimer. Um, I, I'm struggling a little bit today, friends. Uh, my mom passed away this week, and uh, I'm trying to power through um, for all of you. Um, but I can't guarantee that I won't get a little bit emotional today. So I think the main thing that I want to express with all of you is that I really appreciate you as a community. And I just wanted to be with you today. So I apologize for cracking up a little bit here, but um, it's been a long few days. So please tell me where you're joining from. And it's so always so wonderful to see all your faces and all your comments. And I just want to express that and say that I love you all so very much. Um, And don't take those things for granted. So I've got the first cry out of the way. Well, we all appreciate you so much, Spencer, and the courage and leadership that you show um, in the astrological community and, you know, to your family. You know, it's something that I really admire in you. So thank you for your strength and your wisdom and your continual participation in the world, in both worlds. <laughs> For sure. As and, yeah. And just I, the one reason I wanted to come on today and, and not just cancel everything is that um, I think that it's important that we shine a light on, on a grieving process sometimes. And maybe through sharing some of my experiences, I might be able to help someone else through uh, that difficult time. Um, there's also some really, really interesting astrology associated with it. Um, and even as astrologers, sometimes we can intellectualize these transits. Uh, but when we're going through it emotionally, it can still be uh, very visceral. And uh, I hope that just sharing some of that vulnerability will be useful for somebody. So um so I apologize if I get a little weepy today, but well, I, we have a lot of things to talk about, and we've got a, a really interesting full moon that's coming today, and Shu is uh, an amazing person, and I'm so grateful that you're here today, Shu. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about your services and where you're from and how you got into astrology and, and what you've been up to? Well, I've, um, I'm an astrologer based in central Victoria in Australia, and um, I really love the merging of the sky 
with the earth. So, yes, talking transits and then really feeling that in the visceral life sense. Uh, it's always amazing to observe. Um, from my little home here and um, in the bush, I um, do consultations. I do a lot of teaching, one-on-one um, -on -one mentoring, and this year I'll also be teaching at Kepler College um, for a solar returns course. Um, and apart from that, I've been getting into a lot of art this year, which is something that I wanted to do and honour in my fifth house perfection. Nice. Um, and have some really interesting news to share, actually, um, as we'll talk about the Mercury helical rise this week in the evening sky, which is often a sign of meeting with a new teacher or a guru or coming into some special knowledge. Um, I've been lucky enough to um, have some one of um, some tutoring workshops with one of my favourite artists, Daniel Maranti, who um, is an amazing comes from an amazing lineage of very ancient Renaissance techniques, and I feel like his teachings very much mimic my teachings in astrology where we're all about preserving ancient systems, human art, and I guess us in astrology. So I really um, was blown away by how that all came about. It was very last minute. I found out about it by accident. He happened to be in Melbourne. I happened to have the resources to get down there. So it's amazing how astrology works um, and, yeah, really, really, yeah, excited. Uh, that that was my Jupiter, Neptune and Sun in the second Deccan nice. moment and more to share about that as we talk. <laughs> That's excellent. And, and yeah. what house for you did that perfect in, the Jupiter-Neptune? Which one? The, the Jupiter-Neptune. It was in my second house. Okay. So yeah, second house you. of skills, yeah, and yeah. developing my skills, uh, which I've learned so much in, in the two days. Um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So what have you been up to, Spencer, well. besides this, this big <laughs> news? Yeah, I mean, in astrological news. <laughs> well, I did want to share that the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction happened in my eighth house, which, you know, sometimes yeah, can fine. be traditionally associated with um, – you know things passing on and and dealing with with death and and what happens after someone passes um so there's been a lot of uh i've been experiencing a lot of i would say soul communication um i've seen a lot of symbols of my my mother that that passed on monday um and it's really been opening up my experience of, uh, I would say, spirituality, awareness of maybe even other dimensions of existence. Um, as much as I intellectually pursue things like astrology and uh, philosophy and spirituality, <clears throat> there's still a little like Virgo skepticism that I have about like what, what all this really means. And, you know, being able to open up to to that those other types of experiences has been really powerful um and that's been a kind of a silver lining with all of these things and uh, been able to connect with a lot of people that i haven't 
talked to for a long time too. So um, it's really interesting how all that is playing out. Uh, on, a, on a practical standpoint, a couple of things I wanted to share. <clears throat> I have a I have a Deccans webinar coming up in a, in May. What is it May now? <laughs> like uh, on May fourteenth, I'll be doing the Taurus Deccans. We just got done doing excuse me <clears throat> Aries and uh, the um, we did we got done doing Aries and uh, the spring bundle so you can still sign up for the spring bundle if you want to and i'll be doing the deccans and taurus on may the 14th which is a saturday uh, one thing i wanted to share too with everybody and i thought i'd show you shoe because I, I don't know if you've seen this yet but i just got oh, this in i the saw mail. that and i'm very jealous <laughs> i need to go and check the post office to see if mine's arrived right i, I got the oh, ancient well, astrology in theory and practice the manual of traditional techniques volume two from demetra george I got this yesterday in the mail. Well, isn't that just a Mercury rising in the evening sky moment? Right. I saw that and I thought, I need to get to the post office because I've been hassling Aaron Sheik for months on over oh, this. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we were just talking about this recently and I was kind of thinking I've, I've just thrown my money away. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's come through. Well, I, I pre-ordered, like, uh, I, I pre-ordered this two years ago maybe it was a while ago and has it been that long yeah i yeah it's been a it's been a long time um but i think that there were certain factors in in play where demetra was having she had a health challenge that came up i think um and then the pandemic hit and that slowed everything down and aaron cheek over at rubedo presses really does fantastic work so i, I want to just really applaud him for his uh his work um his his um what did you what would you call his publishing company and and his attention to detail because every book that comes out of rubedo press is a work of art you know i, I really uh, you know you can feel the soul that that's yeah. put into the books mm. he takes so much pride in those books and i just i'm, I'm so grateful for that and um, so it was worth, I, I think it's worth the wait. And for yeah. those of you who, who haven't ordered or pre-ordered this book yet, it should be available to the public on April the 20th is what I was told. So check out their website, rebetopress.com. I think that's the, the site. Um, and make sure you get volume one as well as volume two with Demetra's work because the two are going to be really uh, seminal as far as manuals for traditional astrology, they're going to be, they're really important works. And Demetra does such a wonderful job of um, teaching and helping it become practical, right? So. Yes, that's right. He's got such a clear way to distill this information in such a concise way. And with Aaron's editing just makes it even more like, uh, yeah, just even more practical and usable. So they, they are literally manuals. Like I look at yeah. them all the time. Absolutely. And and the first volume was just something that just completely uh, shifted my perspective with astrology in general. And um, so, yes, highly recommend that. Uh, go out and get that Rubedo Press, Ancient Astrology and Theory and Practice. Um, okay, Shu, so we've gotten our... our We've gotten the crying out of the way. <laughs> We've gotten the uh, ser services after that. Um, 
you know, you know, it's this life, you know, this is the thing. Like we, we, we still have jobs to do and, uh, the, the astrological wheel keeps on spinning. And, um, you know, I think that we're, we're really sharing this interesting journey together as a, as a community. So, um, what do you say we dive into and one it? thing? Yeah, just before that, one thing I always remember, Manly P. Hall always said, um, you know, death is an awakening. And, you know, it is so true, especially in these moments where you realise it is just a process and a process that opens us up to a bigger world. And I guess I came into that quite young with my father passing away and I've always been aware of another dimension or world to operate in um but it, it just gets better it, you know it just just gets better from here i think yeah I, i've you know i've had some really really beautiful experiences uh beautiful experiences this week um let's see if my mic can stick together here uh just and this is the the type of day it's been um I've seen, you know, I, I tend to be tuned into like the symbolic world um, and see kind of things that represent people and things as far as with astrology and things like that. But it's just been so magnified with all of this recently and just so many undeniable synchronicities um, that it, it really does bring up almost a profound sense of peace. And I think that that's something that is like you were saying is that's really powerful uh, about death it can can bring uh it brings pain but it also brings an extreme gratitude you know i think that that's the thing that i've been experiencing the most is the gratitude for the for the life that we have and um you know curiosity about well what really is next you know like this is uh there's definitely been some communication via, you know cross cross dimensionally so what what does that mean for what the next uh, step in the journey is? It's just, it's very fascinating. Um, Squatting that skeptic in you, Spencer. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's what happens when you have a Jupiter-Neptune conjunction opposite your Saturn and your Mars in Virgo, is <laughs> you, you will have to take a leap of faith. You have to just sometimes just take things on faith and not have to ask, well, why? What, I don't know about that, you know, it's... Um, it's just a really, it's a very, very uh, instructive, you know, experience. And I think, you know, one other thing we should really touch on is, um, you know, the day that my mom passed, Saturn was was squaring the nodes. And that that's another um, very important, I think, uh, type of aspect that we have. Um, or just, what, what would we call that an aspect? What would we call that, Shu? I would call it a an aspect it definitely definitely it's significant i mean i i did write about that as the key feature in one in my weekly um news that i have on my blog that for the last two months we've had all of the planets going through the bendings which is the 90 degree square of the nodes and at each week that that happens for each planet we've really seen a magnification of that planet's essences it's an ordeal of that planet in some way Right. related to the eclipses that it, it may relate back to that this November 19th Taurus eclipse. Um, it just gives us a little sort of crisis point or pressure point or where decisions need to be made about those planets. And this is the last 
time that a planet will be going through the bendings before the eclipses and wasn't it a big one <laughs> yeah yeah well and I, i've you know i saw a really nice article from the april elliot kent uh, an astrologer out of san diego california that you know she was bringing in that that choice um factor with with saturn and the bending of the nodes but also talking about jupiter and neptune as something needing to dissolve so that a new a new dream can be born and you know you knowing me i i've been looking up all the transits of everything that's happened you know with with all this and <clears throat> at the last jupiter neptune uh conjunction in 2009 um i found myself in a similar position with my my the matriarch in my family my 106 year old great grandmother uh passed and i had this experience of uh, death which here I'll, I'll share this that the jupiter rules my eighth house and it also rules uh my fifth so from the experience of death it, it brought me back together with family you know and with people and dissolved the boundaries so through that act it was this unification and i'm wondering out there for for those of you listening today if you've had any experiences like that maybe it's not as dramatic as as potentially as what i went through this week but maybe there's something else in your life that is is dissolving that is creating a sense of of unity on some level um, and you sound like you were experiencing that with a, with a teacher, right, Shu? Yes, in a way. Um, I feel like I've been experiencing the Jupiter-Neptune transit more like a drowning experience. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like I've literally been <laughs> yeah. very overwhelmed with work and it's all good stuff, you know, yeah. like too much produce, having to process everything, get everything canned up and then just seeing things kind of rot in front of my eyes because I just have not had the time to get to them, you know, that kind of thing. Too much work, too many good things happening. Um, and, yeah, it's a matter of just literally sitting in all of that and making you realise what's important, you know. I can't do everything, you know. I've, I've already got my year's supply of tomatoes. Like, do I need to really bottle more tomatoes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so, well, well, and for those of you that don't know, Shu, you're a, you're off the grid mostly, right? Uh, in in rural Australia, completely. Right? Yeah, completely, completely off, off the grid. The grid. Okay. Yeah, go, try and grow a lot of my own food and. Yeah. and bottle and preserve everything. And and really it is about bottling because food grows so quickly. You can't eat it all at once, as you sure. discovered with your peaches last year. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's yeah. a lot of time spent. <laughs> it's a lot of time in the kitchen, which I don't, you know, I, I would much prefer being outside than being inside. I need a nonna or someone to to, to cook all my foods. <laughs> yeah. So that's um, a great memory yeah. shoe that the, the, the peaches of summer that couldn't all be eaten <laughs> before they got moldy. I don't, even, I don't know if I remember that. So man, you are, uh, you're on top of it. I remember so, that. Yeah. I, 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 I relate to that. That's why. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah. I remember now we, we, someone gifted us like a, a pack of like, like a pack of, uh, which is a huge like bucket of peaches. And we, we weren't really able to eat all of them before they just started just completely like fermenting and everything. So uh, yeah, interesting times. So, so maybe collectively we are trying to eat as many of the good peaches as we can before uh, they go bad. And maybe that speaks a little bit to the, 
ephemeral nature of time and trying to manage all of these things, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful metaphor also. Um, okay. I'm going to take a look through the chat here, Shu, and then we'll dive into this, uh, this full moon. Um, we've got Bonnie here joining us. Hello, Bonnie. Nice to see you. Um, uh, Meredith is listening in from, uh, York, Maine while painting a pet portrait of oil paintings. Yeah. Well, we've got another painter here today. Oh, great. Right. Excellent. We'll look up Daniel Moranti. You'll be you'll be blown away. Nice. Uh, Andrea is joining us from Croatia. Space Tiger Tarot Nine. Andrea, uh, nice to see you. Um, Autumn Rosenberg joining us from Michigan. Fionn is here from Ireland, and uh, Henry Henry Harrison joining us. Uh, very nice to see you, my friends. Thank you, Christopher, for being here today. Um, thank you for the, the supportive words here in the chat. I really appreciate all of you. Tammy is here today. Thank you, Tammy, for your support. Raven, it's good to see you. Um, so yeah, like I said, very, very grateful for all of you in the chat today. And thank you for bearing, bearing with me during, during this time. And thank you, Shu, for put, putting up with me <laughs> like right now, too. Oh. It's, uh, I'm not putting up with you at all. <laughs> well, you, you're you're a great friend, so uh, I I feel like this would be you would be one of the first people that I'd want to be able to have that container with. So, Give a hug to yeah. Hug. There you go. <laughs> well, thank you. All right, should, should we bring the chart up and kind of see what we're looking at here? All right, so I'm going to share my screen and. <clears throat> You know, a couple things. Um, let's feel like we have any big picture thoughts. What are if you were just to look at this from the the thirty thousand foot viewpoint? Um, what are you seeing? Well, I'm seeing that we are half a moon cycle away from the eclipses, yeah. and that's usually when shit starts going down. <laughs> um, so we start to feel the intensity of life, I feel. Um, and the fact that this lunation will be in the signs of, uh, that will be hosted by Venus and Mars, who will be also hosting the eclipses. So this is a little entree, I think, this new moon into, a uh, full moon, sorry, to the um, the nature of what the next 12 to 15 months is of these eclipses. I think it's a good learning experience about what we are called to do in this time. And I'm also seeing that um, when I think of a full moon, I'd like to look at what was happening at the new moon of that sign six months ago. And that was that real doozy. I remember you did a podcast about that with Melissa LaFara mm -hmm. in October Oh, September of October last year, um, and, you know, it's, it would be a good one to listen to because it is actually the culmination of that new moon. What was and the that date? was, the, what new was the, date? What was the date on that show? Do you remember? 6th of October, yeah. and it was that new moon where Mars was um, Kazemi. Oh, yeah. So I'm just pulling and we that had up. that. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had the the that whole stack up in Libra, right? On, on that new moon that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. And so you're saying that this is the, the the culmination of all of that energy as well, right? Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah. I, I tend to do that. Like, oh, what was happening six months ago? Because I'm 
um, harvesting those seeds right now. Um, and sometimes it can be really, you know, really simple things like, oh, like I, 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 you know, thought about something then, I'm actually doing it now, that kind of situation. So it's a really good exercise to do at a full moon because often people think, oh, it's, it's the culmination of the new moon of that cycle. And it is to a degree, but I think like from a bigger perspective, it is like it is the culmination of the new moon of that same sign six months ago. Interesting. And, 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 you know, this new moon that we were seeing six months ago, you know, both the sun and Mars were in, you know, signs that they were not very comfortable in, right? They, they were, you know, the sun in its fall and Mars in its exile. Um, so some challenging energy around that, would you say? Yeah. And I, I definitely saw that we, we started seeing the worst in people, yeah. um, you know, with, the shadow of our egos um, play out that time, you know, um, Mars being in its fall, no, in, in detriment and the sun being in its fall um, and those two planets being connected to our conscious sort of ego self, we really started to see some of the nasty side of like people or situations and become aware of that at that new moon. Right, right. Um, and so it's, yeah the aftermath of all of that okay so we're bringing everything back. and that that also that new moon it was hosted by that really funky uh venus right <laughs> it was in, in exile in scorpio as well so uh fun time 29 degree another interesting synchronicity uranus had was retrograding to a similar point that it is in right now as well right so, so yeah Right. Yes. And I think from what you were saying at the time, this was the decan of contracts, was it? Yeah, oaths and contracts. Uh the, yeah. the second decan of Libra. Um yeah. but also that three of swords card, the heartbreak, you know, the like broken contracts. Uh mm -hmm. and we had um it was kind of near a fixed star named Algarab, which is a you know, a crow that got distracted from a divine purpose and a divine like mission um so mm -hmm. you know there's also themes with that one about uh being honest and having to be honest or or the temptation to be dishonest i guess would be a, a more appropriate way to to think about it um, yeah 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 so um yeah just let us know on the chat if, if this resonates because um i think it was a very powerful lunation that one at the new moon and and where definitely seeing it now. Yeah, I mean, that's a great, a great thing to keep in mind. And a great point to make sure is that there's like meta cycles with all of these, right? And we're coming up on a, a really important meta cycle with the the eclipse that's going to be happening on the 30th as well, right? So t tell us a little bit more about the that kind of meta cycle with an eclipse and how how those are going to be related back to um, other time frames. Are you familiar with the, the eclipse cycle as well? Yes. So in terms of the every eight and a half year um, nodal opposition, is that yeah. what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess an eclipse will occur in the same two signs in pairs every six months for a period of about 18 months. And those 18 months are repeated every 19 years in exactly the same configuration with the nodes. Right. Um, however, every eight and a half years, 
we have the same signs being activated again in an 18-month period, but um, in the nodal opposition perspective. So the nodes are flipped. And we see a seesawing effect of, you know, gaining an increase of those signs every eight and a half years. So where we're gaining, for example, in Taurus this instance, um, eight and a half years ago, all the Taurian matters would have been decreasing because the south node would have been there and, and vice, versa, vice versa for all of the subsequent eight and a half years. So um, it's a study that you could do on your chart, you know, a lifetime study to see how these eclipses tell a story over the lifetime of gaining and increasing in a particular sign or house. Um, and, and it really does work if you want to do that study for yourself. Um, it, it's quite fascinating, in fact. Um, and, and you take into consideration the house, um, the sign, the ruler of the sign, and it all um, builds that little picture. Yeah. Um, but thematically for Taurus and Scorpio, um, from a general significations viewpoint, we're seeing themes of, um, I guess, ownership, um, interpersonal relationship binds, um, security. Um, yeah, what, what what other themes do you think? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or a Scorpio kind of pull through. I mean, definitely. A survival and death, I guess. Right, right. Fertility and growth, right, With mm -hmm. as opposed to, like, composting. Um, mm -hmm. So, so planting the seeds in the in our gardens versus like what we're removing to create um, f fecundity. I guess is one of the, my favorite Austin Coppic words, fecundity. I think of those two signs as the time when the the microbes in the soil become active. They they become active in Taurus to to promote growth. Now, this is different where you're at because like you're on the other side of the world, so. So we have this kind of, you know, flip thing, but, but, you know, everything is kind of getting uh, woken up to create growth, you know, and then when we have the, the Scorpio time of year, we've got those same, you know, maybe slightly different types of microscopic organisms in the soil that are breaking down those things. And they both create heat on some level, you know, and I think that that's a, you know, it's, it's a quickening on some, on some level. It's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I think it, it, um, speaks to I'm not sure about heat, but more like the the procreative yeah. energy. Like if you think of Venus and Mars, simply you know when male and female come together, you know things happen. We procreate, so yeah, sure. it's it's that it's it's that creation concept. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, and those are those are going to be some of the big, you know, the bigger themes that we're working through as we get towards the eclipse. Um, in the in the meantime, we've got uh, a lunation happening this this weekend. Um, wherever you're at in the world, uh, it might be uh, Friday or Saturday. Uh, is it Saturday for you, or is it Sunday? Um, it is on the let's see, full moon. 17th so whatever that is 15th okay. Sunday 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 morning it's about four o'clock in the morning so yeah 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 it's always a an interesting exercise in shifting the time frames when Shu and I are talking because 
we are we are literally on the opposite sides of the world <laughs> right now. It's literally a different day where she was when, <laughs> when yeah. we're talking. So it's it's just a it's just totally melts my brain uh, sometimes thinking about it uh, and how relative time is. You know what I'm saying? Like so, uh, pretty yeah. pretty pretty um, pretty pretty fascinating. Um, okay, so Shu, we've got this. We're leading up to these eclipses. Uh, we have the the final decan of Aries here that we're dealing with, and the the final decan of Libra where we're seeing the moon in opposition. Um, we've got the the aftermath of the Jupiter Neptune conjunction that is separating now, uh, and we have uh, Pluto squaring this lunation, um, while Saturn is in a whole sign sextile to the Sun and in a whole sign trine to the moon. Um, you know, the, the, we've got the exaltation of the sun right now. So we've got the sun in a very powerful position. Uh, this is a, a Venus ruled Deccan, um, where we talk about kind of charisma. Um, Eros was the, the spirit, right? So we've got this kind of like, uh, I don't know, trying to win over hearts, hearts and minds, um, potentially, and we can get into that in a second. Um, but then we, we've had this contrasted by this Deccan with um, with Libra, where we, we see rest. You know, we see um, a, a desire to restore balance. So we have this bonds mm. card for the sun and the four of swords for the moon. And, you know, like, it, I really enjoy the way Austin Kopic talks about the four of swords and also T. Susan Chang, where they're they're talking about many different adjustments that need to be made to restore equilibrium. You know, like everybody's got so much going on right now with the with Jupiter expanding everything, uh, lots of changes that are happening before the eclipse, uh, you know, flips the chapter marker in our lives. And I, I just, for me, this this full moon, I think speaks to some of the compromises we might have to make in our, you know, idealistic vision. Um, I do, I, I don't know if you feel this way, but it, uh, beyond the fact that sometimes they think of eclipses as somewhat malefic events, there is that Venus-Jupiter uh, conjunction that's happening around it as well. So I have to feel that there's at least something good uh, potentially coming out of this, this eclipse cycle. And maybe this is the point where we adjust our expectations around yes. it, right? Would you? Yeah, totally. I think Nemesis is going to be hard at work at this new at, at this full moon because yeah. we've got the moon being ruled by Venus, exalted in Pisces, who's going to have a very strong desire nature. So yeah. Nemesis will be there to help us cull our excesses yeah. and to prepare us, I guess, for the um, for Venus's. Um, other hosting place of the eclipse place you know it's it's kind of like it's preparing venus for what's there to come mm. um so yeah i think it is a, um, i think one way we can get around this uh to do it in a venus style like a libra style is to maybe um if you feel drowned out with work or like too much to do to try and combine like the work and play situation um, so that you're getting 
two needs met at the same time. So you're you're being met by being productive because we've got Saturn at the at the um, nodal angles as well, um, and Nemesis there to really try and get us to rest and and get us to restore equilibrium. But maybe things like working bees or like um, using you know connecting with the brotherhood or sisterhood to to try and meet some common goals. You know that could be one work around this transit to kind of get both social needs and the rest of work needs kind of done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. And, and seeing the contrast between Eros, the daimon of Aries three and nemesis, the, the, the spirit or the daimon of Libra three, you know, to me, that juxtaposition looks like, you know, being able to, to inflame desire and, and, you know, uh, actively win people over to our side versus having to make adjustments to the other people in our life. And, you know, I've had some cool notes with Nemesis here. Nemesis was like a, a the, the goddess of right proportion, right? So she would, uh, they said that she, she who distributes what is due. So it's kind of like what, what you've earned is what you will get for better or for worse on some level. Um, but, you know, Nemesis also was associated with Saturn because this is the Deccan that has the exaltation of Saturn at 21 degrees of Saturn. So to me, it's, it's, it's a very Saturnian spirit that says, hey, I'm going to increase that which is lacking but also, and decrease that which is excessive. It's not just about uh, checking excesses. It's, it's, it's both. Um, but one thing I, I want to add to that is that Nemesis checks the excesses of 2k which was the random distribution of fate by chance you know so like 2k may give you and this we see this in the the hellenistic um house descriptions where the fifth and sixth house are the houses of uh good and bad fortune um uh, agatha 2k and, and um whatever the latin word for good is like uh, is slipping my mind right now um so you know, it's it, it may be this. There's things that we with Venus uh, as the host. Um, sometimes I think Venus brings us things that we don't necessarily earn. You know, right? Would you, right? Because it's just like, what are we receiving? Whereas Jupiter may be more about how we receive via our own merits. Um, yeah. So if you've like won, you know, something, or and you didn't really earn it you know, you may expect some kind of rebalancing, but also if you've got yeah. screwed over in some regard and you, uh, you know, you didn't deserve that fate, there may be some kind of uh, divine rebalancing and redistribution as well, right? Yeah, and I don't necessarily see it as like a taking away, but maybe an opportunity to level up to yeah. where you've been exalted to. Because I think with Saturn exalted in Libra or, or any exalted planet, I feel like there, from what I've seen, there's this sense of like imposter syndrome yeah. where you've been propped up too quickly or, you know, you, you don't know why you've been propped up, but for some reason people see you in that greater light. Yeah. Uh, and then there's this constant kind of fear or this imposter syndrome that you're never, ever good enough or you, you don't feel deserved there. So, like, Nemesis coming in on that third deck and just allows you to kind of come up to that level through 
all those Saturnian words like hard work, um, discipline, um, you know, working through things methodically um, and, and to be truly accountable for, for what you've gained. Accountability, that's a great, that's a great way to describe it, I think. Um, I guess one last thing I want to add about Libra 3, um, you know, a lot of the, the research on this decan seems to suggest that instead of pursuing something, it's more about be, uh, from the outside in, it's more about creating something from the inside out. So peace is created mm-hmm. through your own peacefulness you will naturally attract or create peaceful situations by becoming still within. And I wanted to, Shu, I wanted to share with you a quote um, from one of my favorite I Ching authors, Jack M. Balkin. And it's, and I got this hexagram a few days ago uh, and it was really powerful based on, you know, the the circumstances I've been describing this, this, uh, this live stream about my experiences this week. And it was from hexagram number 52, and, and I got the changing line, number six. And it, it, it's, it, 52 is, is stillness, the mountain, like becoming still, which I think is really reflective of that card. And it, it says, peace comes to those who are at peace, while conflict seems to ever attach itself to those who are conflicted inside. And that really hit me. Um, because think about that, Shu, like if we, if our you know, look at me earlier today, like in our, the beginning of our live stream, like my microphone stand was falling apart. Like my emotions were falling apart. I just wasn't, I hadn't gotten to my place of stillness yet, uh, processing some of the heavy emotions. Um, but once we can get to that centered place, that's when we can, you know, radiate that energy out. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And, um, and I think that that's always my advice around eclipses, you know, in the chaos of eclipses, that we have to find our centre and just observe everything that goes around and, and not to participate in that chaos. Right. Uh, so this is, you know, really good prep, prepping for that uh, two weeks' time. Yeah, yeah. And, and we pulled some other symbols that talk, that speak to the, kind of silent observation as well and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get to that as we go we, we had yes. an animal today that 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 really embodies that quality so stay tuned for that to, if you want yes. to know and that animals. definitely resonate that i i wrote about that as well for my next week's article um on my blog about silence as well so we'll yeah. get to that too when we go through the third quarter moon for sure <laughs> um so you know as far as this particular lunation We've got one other factor that we have in here that is worth mentioning. Actually, two things. I have two things I want to cover with this. First of of all, being this square to Pluto. So, you know, we have this, uh, all of these are are in the Deccan that is related to the fours um, in the tarot, which there is a a Sephira called Hesed, which is the, is, related to mercy but flow it it was kind of correlated with the planet jupiter so it was sort of about limitlessness um but also an accumulation of the resources of the particular element so this is something i'm really liking about t susan chang's book and and mm what's her name mm milan where they have they they were partnered up in that fortune's wheelhouse podcast 
Yeah, it's a great podcast. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, amazing, amazing. I love T. Susan Chang. She's like my, <laughs> yeah. uh, she's my hero. You know, as an Asian, you know, um, Asian uh, thinker. <laughs> well, and just the, just the leader. amount of energy that she's, uh, the amount of you know different. Uh, systems that she's able to collect is near and dear to my heart too. So uh, yeah, she's wonderful. Um, yeah. So, but with Hesed, you know, with the Aries Deccan, we're collecting, I think, enthusiasm and inspiration to to get this collective. She mentions like a co- a collective spirit, like a public um, proclamation of of a, an intention, whereas. With Libra, three, we're collecting our thoughts in stillness so that we can move forward in in balance. And then we have right. Go ahead. No, no, go. You go. And then Pluto is in the third third decan of uh, Capricorn, where we have the four of Pentacles, where we're collecting material resources. Where that decan could be seen as, uh, uh, you know, and the on the downside it could be a hoarding of resources you know on the plus side it could be you know wise administration of what we have created so i think that um we're we're trying to figure out what we do with an abundance of enthusiasm uh maybe an abundance of ideas and maybe potentially with uh how do we deal with our our resources moving forward and pluto Mm -hmm. there is saying hey wow this might be um, there might be some corruption that you need to unearth to be able to either transform it or to, to uh, you know, have an achemical transformation of some level around that. Mm. And I think that speaks to the cardinal, cardinality, if that's the word, of these signs, <clears throat> you know, with this, um, with this lunation, you know, it really is activating all these cardinal points where we have this strong impulse there to want to bring action and I see the Pluto there at the center showing like a sense of dissatisfaction or like a bee in the bonnet or or some some kind of inner upheavals where you know we feel a bit edgy and 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 we know we need to do something there's an impulse to initiate some kind of change but um, we we may not know what it is right now but but I think what this full moon is good for especially with pluto there is to build awareness and to gain perspective or to deepen our understanding of all these things um so that we can then make an informed decision from it you know yeah um yeah i I think to make a decision now would be too premature but it's it's almost like this lunation is putting the magnifying glass on everything to try and raise things up to our attention that we may have forgotten about. Well, uh, that's a great point too, because we are heading into an even more powerful lunation in two weeks, basically, where the, sh- the ground can completely shift under our feet. So, you know, instead of this being like a, a, a small adjustment, you know, this, like you're saying, this is the precursor to a much bigger change that we're going to be experiencing. So, you know, it sounds like your advice is, hey, you don't have to necessarily like push the go button, just get get all your ducks in a row first, right? 
mm. you know, on Earth, like, you know, I think of Pluto and Capricorn three sometimes too, is that deck to me represents a lot of the times it represents bureaucratic structures where like, how do we organize our life? How do we administrate power? So maybe there is some, uh, you're trying to achieve some, some goal, but there may be some red tape that you have to work through that may feel a little bit like you're, you're trying to, you know, it's tense. There's going to be tension between that. But every time I've, I've had Pluto contacts, it generally does, you know, it's like the, like, like Hades erupting from the underworld. It says, here I am, you've, you've ignored me. You have to deal with this for, um, before you can go any further. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I think to, to um, build on that with Venus and Mars being the rulers of this lunation, which are in general terms the relationship planets, I think we're going to see a lot of this show up in our personal relationships. Um, just to wax on that, like Jung has always said that anything that we repress within ourselves will show up in our relationships. They are the mirrors for our repressed side to be able to reveal to us that they are there. So you may find <clears throat> that there could be some tensions within that, your personal relationships with this lunation. Sure. Um, but rather than to engage in a, a blame game or conflict of some sort, I think it is to go within and reflect, you know, what is it about myself that I see in <clears throat> that, that part of me sees in that um, trait of that other person. And that can be a really healing process. It's um, funny how we can project some of the things that we're ignoring within ourselves onto onto others sometimes, and you know, like othering, right? Or say, "Oh, that's you've been doing this," and you know, you project some of the things you may be. That's a kind of a classical psychological trope, right? Where we're projecting some things that we're dealing with internally onto others. Um, yeah, that's right. And and with Venus and Mars as well, um, I gave a lecture this year on, on the Venus-Mars conjunction and one of my big takeaways from that was around the tension of opposites, like right. being able to hold that tension, sit in that discomfort and allow it to stew because from that, that's where the creative solutions emerge once we can hold this tension. Uh, if we if we immediately react, we're immediately siding with one side of that spectrum, which will just put us back in the same position of having something repressed and engaging with our consciousness. So if we can sit within that tension of maybe relationships being bitter or difficult this week, then um, then we can, we we can allow ourselves to come to a an equilibrium. Yeah. Um, to occur. Yeah, and and Shu, you you know one of the reasons I asked you to be my guest this week, um, before the the crazy events of the week, uh, was that you have some some experience with this axis, right? Like dealing with this uh, Aries Libra axis. Can you speak a little bit about you know maybe if you feel comfortable sharing anything about what your, your those placements are, but. Uh, how do you reconcile th that opposition? Like what types of compromises have you had to make? What kind of things have you had to stay true to within yourself? How, how have you worked with that opposition energy? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, well, it is that kind of meat in the sandwich situation that I always find myself in. Um, and I think one of it, it's across my third and ninth houses. So it's it's not like cardinal or, um, I mean, angular or anything like that. But however, one of the things that I do use as a tool is a spiritual practice mm. to manage um, difficult personalities or difficult relationships. Um, I always have, uh, like, you know, I meditate religiously, you know, at least twice a day, um, and it's my way of sort of coming back into my centre. And, you know, obviously I've had to learn to do that. In the past I've definitely engaged in a lot of conflict and difficult situations. Um, a lot of it's out of my control. You know, I've got the malefics in the ninth house and, like I mentioned to you, I've had very difficult, dangerous situations when I've been travelling, right. um, like life-death situations. Um, and, you know, as as a younger person, you're not really owning these um, dynamics a lot within your life. So I was projecting all of that out. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've come to realise that I need to you know, start pulling all of these in. Those dangerous situations were my projections, I feel, of of my Aries side being too gung-ho, maybe too impulsive, like making the wrong decisions, you know. So so yeah, it it, it really over time I've I've had to learn to be still and be center, centered, yeah. uh, and to look at the high philosophies. Um, to give me that perspective of any sort of conflict that I'm in to to be that bigger person or to be to see it like an eagle looking down over the land rather than like a little ant fighting out those battles. I love it. I love that. You know, <laughs> when you were speaking, it, it was reminding me of the the elasticity of time, right? Like, and, I, and what I mean by that is the the experience of like when we're young, uh, where we feel like we always have to be somewhere and we have to rush through things. And then, you know, we learn to slow down as we age, maybe through our centeredness and meditation. But then some funny paradox happens is it feels like time actually starts to speed up <laughs> like when you get older. I don't know if you, you experience oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah, but but it, it's, uh, you know, things felt like they were taking forever when we were, you know, young. Like, when when are we going to be at the next destination? And now it's like, holy shit, where am I? Like, it's going too fast. Slow down. Um, so, I, yeah, it's just a, it's a very interesting way of experiencing this, maybe potentially this illusion called time, right? Mm, that's right. And isn't it fitting with Saturn at the bendings? You know, we seem to be focusing on time so much, right. um, you know, because it is this fear of um, running out of time or the fear of not getting enough things done. Um, it's so prevalent in our minds this week. Yeah. <laughs> and for those of you who are, are new to that concept of the bending of the nodes, what we're talking about is when a planet is exactly square the north and south node of the moon so as shu and i were talking about earlier you know saturn's the last planet in the series of planets that has gone through this bending of the nodes so we have jupiter that went through mars that went through uh venus went through mercury went through uh, a while ago um because it moves pretty fast the sun did it um 
and this is the, their turning points. Uh, they're, they're points where we have to kind of leave one type of experience behind and then we are, you know, moving towards something potentially. And then, you know, the other thing I see with that is that because a planet, you know, besides the sun and the moon rule two houses, it, it's going to be, the changes are required in different areas of our life each time a planet, a different planet goes through the bendings, right? So it's like, okay, you know, you just got done making this huge monumental decision in one area of your life. Here's another one. <laughs> like, and, and then yeah. here's this other one that you have to deal with. You know, it's a, it's just yeah. really, it's, it's a lot. So I think that. It, it is. It's a, it's I still think there, there is a central theme. The theme is like basically whatever happened at the last eclipse, yeah. th- that event is what we're making decisions on at the bendings. So the last eclipse was in November 2021 with, with an eclipse in Taurus. So whatever was happening then in the sign of Taurus, you know, we're going through these little pressure points now based on the essence of each of these planets um, for, that, for that week. So currently, you know, we're, we're looking at what fundamental structures um, we're, we're making decisions on based on what, whatever went down in November. Sure. I'll give one other disclaimer. Uh, we're having a really intense windstorm right now. So if if we cut out today and the power goes out, <laughs> I'll just apologize in advance. But Shu did, did some sort of, uh, you, you had a conversation with Hermes before we went uh, on today? <laughs> right. Look, Hermes is my, Hermes is my, um, my go-to this year. I'm in a Mercury perfected year, nice, nice. Okay. <laughs> and so that was part of. I, I always like to honor my perfected time lord by doing something each year that I dedicate to. So this right. year, that's why I decided to do my intercycle observator weekly news, which right. I'm really enjoying doing because I feel like. Well, firstly, I'm going back to my journalism days where, nice. you know, like I feel like I'm um, I'm reporting the news. Um, every week um and and that's all in honor of mercury this year so uh, it's a form of propitiation for me (laughs) well you know if you want to know the difference between a mercury perfected time lord and a saturn perfected time lord guess who is my perfected time lord right now (laughs) in an angular house (laughs) so uh it it is the old uh that old devil saturn right um so you know sometimes saturn can represent endings it can represent maturation um you know and i i will have to say i have some other really good things happening in my life right now that it's all mashed up in this soup of like you know uh growing up and taking responsibility for your life and um it's you know there's nothing that will snap you into that and then this kind of change um Chu, I want to take a look through the chat real quick here and see if we have any comments or questions. Um, so we have some people that are, are agreeing about T. Susan Chang and, and how great Fortune's Wheelhouse is. Uh, we have um, a question from June saying, do squares offer the same stewpot possibilities as oppositions? What do you think, Shu? Sorry, what was that question? Do the squares uh, offer the same stew pot possibilities as oppositions? Stew pot possibilities. 
Well, I guess everything gets thrown into the cauldron at any aspect, but I think maybe it might be a bit more spicy, the soup at an opposition, and at the um, square, the soup might be a bit more bitter. Yeah. Would you say so? Because, I mean, oppositions are the essence of Mars. There's an, a, a conflict and an opponent or some kind of, op, uh, you know, opposition. Well, okay. I'm, so I, I think that in the theme of Mundi, actually, the oppositions are Saturn, right? Because we've got the opposition between the lights and Saturn in the theme of Mundi. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Saturn. Sorry, I got me wrong. So, okay, it's the other way around. Mars right. is... The squares would be spicy and the right. oppositions bitter. Yes, there you go. I, I, I agree with you. Uh, I think that the um, I think that there's friction in squares. There there is mm. and friction and I think about the tires uh, meeting the rubber meeting the asphalt, right? Where there's this tension, but sometimes it's it's necessary conflict to to move us forward. I sometimes I think of the oppositions more as, you know, if you think about it in a Saturnian way, um, sometimes it's a lot more difficult to reconcile that, where you just have to kind of be okay with recognizing that there might be a blockage. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's a, it's more of a, a slow down blockage. With the opposition, did you say? Yeah. Is that yeah, what you yeah. said? Yeah. yeah. I think so. I think they're harder to work with. Yeah. And the squares, I think, especially that waxing square, I think things are within your control a bit more. There's an impulse to do something, but you have more control. But with the waning square on the other side, I feel like things are out of your control a little bit more and it's almost up to situations around you that you know have no control of that you find that you need to change. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, Demetra George, who... Uh, you know, this book we were talking about here, when she is, uh, she's referencing Dane Rudyard, and Dane Rudyard likes to talk about the first quarter squares of a, a solar lunar lunation as being like the physical crisis of bringing something into being, whereas the last quarter square is more about an existential crisis about releasing for to prepare for the next cycle. And I'm curious if it, if that actually is probably true with other planets in synodic cycles as well. Maybe there's a, a relationship between those two planets that we are, have a crisis of bringing something into being and then the crisis of letting go, right? Yeah, totally. Because, you know, usually the, the cases at the evening star phase, it's, it's more internalized. You know, these pressures are more internalized and we tend to have a, a more subtle, placid, passive approach to whatever that planet's ordeals are compared to the morning star where we're out there expressively being that planet and doing what the planet wants to be. Right. So, And, and I guess the mm -hmm. final thing I'll say about oppositions and squares is that you know, I think the opposition is can be sometimes a, a fruiting of what happened, what was the seed that was planted at that conjunction of the, of whatever two planets we're talking about. This is the culmination of that energy, and then it starts to wane. So it's like the the most visible part of that particular cycle. Um, mm -hmm. So you're yeah. bringing up oppositions are just yeah. Oh, sorry. Go on. Well, I was, oh, I was just going to say, I, I, I like oppositions just as a way of 
gaining perspective and clarity. And it may always, it may be a difficult, painful way to get that perspective, but nevertheless, you know, it's good to, to grow and become aware um, of, of whatever your shadows are. Absolutely. Um, and you were bringing up, uh, starting to bring up a good point about, were you speaking as with Mercury as the evening star emerging? Were you starting um, to go in that direction? Uh, if, yes. Uh, yes. It, Mercury has just risen this week. Okay. Um, which which I'm feeling because obviously he's my, my perfected time lord. Right. And I've used the 10 degree, no, no, 15, 15 degree here. Yeah, so the other thing we're seeing at this full moon is Mercury going through that emerging process and then hitting Uranus. So it's going to emerge from under the beams, become visible. We're getting important messages this week, but they may be unexpected ones because it's making an application to Uranus. Um, there may be unexpected things regarding resources as well, since that second decade of Taurus tends to be about um, not only our our routines that we we tend to try to uh perpetuate but also like charitable kind of receiving of benefits things like that um we can see that reflected in the six of of pentacles card um so that's another thing i think that we'll be experiencing during this this full moon is uh mercury applying to that uh conjunction with uranus where i'll tell you uranus can still surprise uh, us astrologers, you know, like, I don't know if you've seen this, but even when we see it coming and then some event comes, it's like, wow, even though I knew there was something unexpected, that still surprised me, you know, that still shook me yeah. out of uh, some kind yeah, of lethargy, yeah. right? So. Yeah, I think there's an inventiveness when, when Mercury and Uranus come together or yeah. something that pulls us out of our routine um, and brings us a little bit of excitement. And so that was exactly the situation as to what happened with me and, and meeting Daniel Moranti. Uh, it was last week that I first met him and I went back again this week for another session. And I found, I literally found out about it the night before and by accident. So there's that Uranus kind of approaching um, and um, so part of this workshop was we had to prepare all of our, bring our materials, which included a canvas. And because I'd found out about this the night before, I didn't, I didn't have any time to go to the shops to buy anything, but I did have a canvas that I was setting aside for Friday to do an Aries to Deccan talisman with that canvas. I was going to paint Persephone and and I was really annoyed because I thought, damn, like I, you know, this is going to make my ritual just rushed now. I'm going to have to duck out in the morning and find somewhere to get a canvas. And But, you know, I just had to grab, take what I could and, and go to this workshop. Yeah. And as it turns out in this workshop, we all had to pick, he had, he had studies for us all to paint and they were all different images of sculptures. And as it turned out, the image I looked at on the table was a woman, or a sculpture of a woman um, in a dress sitting there with her legs missing out of the picture. And if you if you know the Picatrix, right. the image that you have to inscribe at the um, at the um, the moment of consecration 
is a woman in a green dress with one leg missing. One leg. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Perfect. I grabbed I grabbed that, and so that became my talisman. Awesome. <laughs> so I just thought, wow, that's just amazing. It's it's amazing how that it, it all worked out in the end. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. are you going to be able to? Are you going to share some of this work publicly? Oh, I didn't bring it with me. It's in my other um, in the other shed, but I will try. I can post a um, progress shot. Yeah, I, I've seen <laughs> um, a few it, of your paintings. It's just an underpainting. Shu is an inc incredibly talented painter. So uh, we, we have a number of painters uh, that are part of our community here on this channel. We have a a, a woman named Susanna who's from the the Finland who has some beautiful paintings and. Um, just really impressed with your talent as well and how you you incorporate um, some of the philosophical and mythological symbolism in it as well. Um, you know, it reminds me a lot of sort of the Alex Gray type of uh, inspired paintings as well. Yeah, I love visionary art. And in fact, Daniel, before COVID, was actually planning to go to teach at Cosm, the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors, which is Alex Gray's school. So he's he's of that caliber. So if anyone look him up, he's amazing, amazing teacher. But anyway, to come back to Mercury, Halak sure. um, Rise. So this happened um, right before the 15 degrees. So you know how we always have this debate as to right. is right. it 10 degrees, is it 15 yeah. degrees? Well, in this situation, you know, it was before the 15 degrees. And I know in Demetra George's book, she always gives one week either side of a facet, a helical rise, okay. mm, yeah. as, a, as a key kind of um, sensitive period for that phenomenon. Um, that that so, yeah, sort of splits, is... that splits the difference, doesn't it? Because then, then, yeah. if, uh, <laughs> then if, if she's wrong about the, the standardization of 15 degrees, then a one week on the other side, we'll, we'll take care of that. So <laughs> yeah, good, exactly. Good approach, right. But it's that whole concept of like what we were discussing on, on witnessing, you know, right. like that, that planets are witnessing each other by sign uh, or, but when it gets to three degrees, it starts to engage and, and do stuff. So, um, so yeah, it, it all kind of fits with these uh, old axioms that were created however many years ago. Absolutely. Mm. And, and yeah, so so for those of you out there that are wondering what we're what we're talking shop about, we're talking about the emergence of a planet from under the beams of the sun. And generally a planet will will do work behind the scenes that isn't visible. And then when it emerges from under the beams, when it's literally visible in the sky, and Shu is, you know, I think one of the sky experts because you actually live in a place where you can see all of these things happening because you live in a place of low light pollution. Um, so you, you are, I, I would say are you a unique authority on that because you have this uh, visceral experience of it. Um, mm -hmm. And then we, we can see, think of that symbolically as whatever was going on behind the scenes that was percolating becomes visible in our lives on some level, right? Mm, yeah, that's right. And the evening star phase being more introverted uh, from a perspective of Mercury, that's more like the symbolism of like a wise sage or a teacher right. or wisdom, uh, whereas if it's a morning star perspective, it's more like an active broadcaster, mm -hmm. um, you know, so to speak. So there's that slightly different nuance between morning and evening star. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah, and check out Shu's talk. You have a talk on... Um, 
We have so many talks too. I, I, oh, <laughs> yeah, cut down this year. But I'm actually, t I'm actually doing something local this year, which I haven't ever yeah. really done. Um, uh, for the Victorian Astrologers Association, who are now online, so I guess it's open to the world. But I will be presenting a lecture on synodic cycles in June. So nice. go check out the Victorian Astrologers Association, and I'll put together. You know, some teachings around, yeah, just understanding the context of a planet, which is, I believe, the synodic cycle. Perfect. Perfect. All right. I'm checking yeah. in the chat here again, Shu. Um, Gloria Miller says the word tarot and German tarak derive from the Italian tarocci, the origin of which is uncertain, but tarak was used as a synonym for foolishness in the late 15th and early 16th century. Oh, very nice. Wow. Yeah. I love etymolo etymology. Thanks, Laura. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It, 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 seeing where all of these things are coming from gives us some insight into the meaning. Um, yeah. Duffy says, astrology, yoga, tarot, philosophers, everything in its place, more or less. What a joy. Uh, I agree. Yeah. I agree, Dimphy. Um, Let me see. I'm looking for any questions. Dimphy, so Dimphy is asking if, if, if they may ask your ascendant sun and moon, if you are interested in sharing, you don't have to. My SMR. Oh, no, yeah. I'm happy to do that. Ascendant, Aquarius, sun, Capricorn, and moon in Aries. Right. So Shu, Shu and I have some, some opposite energy with uh, Leo, Aquarius, risings, Cancer, Capricorn, suns, and then uh, almost we have the same moon, but, but I'm a Taurus moon. So she was holding it together oh, yeah. she's she's my my container today for my cancerian emotionality today so <laughs> we've got the you're uh, doing great you're I, doing great thank sister. you Shu. thank you uh, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate it I, I had to get it out of the way i didn't expect to feel that way but it just sometimes it just comes on uh like a wave you know so so thank you all for bearing with me today uh, a couple more comments here Shu. Um, Raven's saying that there's a Kansas windstorm that made it north. Yes, it's it's pretty nasty, Raven. Right. Thanks That's for like um, Wizard of Oz, isn't that Kansas? Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So we're not in Kansas anymore, Raven. Well, that... there you go. This is the helical rise of Mercury. Mercury rules the winds. Right. So it's like an omen to say, I'm here, I'm, I've arisen. Yes. Uh, and Andrea is, is is giving you props too for honoring the ruler the ruler of the perfected year. Um, Andrea is a really great uh, card card reader, tarot card reader, and, and a wonderful astrologer as well from Croatia. So um, amazing. Uh, she uh, says that I started to play around with honoring them during their days and hours. So I see I might do that for my time lord as well. What do you think about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I ju I just think it's so fun to play with it and. Yeah, and you know, people may you know don't feel pressured to have to do anything elaborate. I, I kind of look at it more as a big picture. What am I going to do this year? How am I going to change, uh, adapt my life to do something in honor of that planet? So this year was my weekly news blog, um, and you know, next year it'll be something else when I you know when I hit my next perfection. So it's just a really good reminder to come back to that as well um it's it's just a good practice to do i think yeah yeah i agree and I, I i do something similar in the mornings with the hour and the day and do a small ritual to the 
the planet of the day. Um, Darren or D is here. Uh, Darren, hey. aka D, is here. Uh, it says, nice Hi. to see you all working together again. Glad I caught you. I sh you should be in bed. Yes, I'm sorry, all my European friends here that we're we are so late. Um, but yes, says, I hope you both are well. Thank you to see, see you here, Dee, and I hope that you're doing well uh, as well, my friend. Um, yeah, Raven is saying that the wind is pretty nasty down there in Kansas, so the fences, fences are getting uprooted, <laughs> so... All right, Shu. So should we move on to the next part of our um, our talk here? Let's see what is next on our agenda. We've talked about Mercury's evening rise. Uh, we've talked about Mercury conjoining Uranus. Um, I think we've touched on the the Hes Hesed Sephira with these uh, these late decans of cardinal signs. The the flow of loving kindness and mercy. Um, just the accumulation of the resources of the sign. Have we? Do you think we have uh, adequately treated uh, Eros and Nemesis? What do you think? Um, let me just have a look. I think so. Um, I guess Eros. We haven't spent as much time on Eros, but uh, I guess people are more familiar with it. It's like the you know, the the more well-known figure is the, the, the Cupid, you know. Right. Um, you know, it's a little bit of a troublemaker, I find, with Eros. And, <laughs> yeah, and so I, I feel it's the, the opposition between Eros and Nemesis really speaks to that opposition of, you know, Venus and Mars, you know, like the chalk and cheese in a way. Yeah. Um, um, but one interesting thing I saw about Eros, um, like the, the myth of Eros from, from its primordial perspective, because I know Eros can be like a god, um, one of the primordial gods as well as one of the later gods, you know, the, the son of um, the Aphrodite and Ares. But right, right. in the relationship between Eros and Psyche, um, I saw, I read that, you know, Psyche at one stage pours her blood upon Eros and causing the first rose to sprout up on the earth, followed by every flower and herb. And that kind of made me think of Austin Coppock's The Burning Rose situation um, that, you know, and I thought, I wonder whether he got inspiration from that um, uh, in, in coming up with The Burning Rose. You, you know, Eros is an interesting figure because it's not just the inflaming desires. Eros ac actually had two types of arrows, right? They, he had a um, the gold-tipped arrow that would create lust and, and passion, but there was also a blunted uh, lead-tipped arrow that would repel an object of desire. So th this was something that uh, Eros <laughs> inflicted upon Apollo, who who was basically uh, you know talking talking some mess to Arrow saying you you don't deserve that bow I'm the only archer here right and I took down the great python with my bow and and Eros was like uh uh, -uh I, I'm I'm I've got a little some tricks up my sleeve and you know at that point uh, Eros shot Apollo with the um, the arrow of love and uh, a nymph I believe uh, Daphne with the arrow of lead. So, you know, Apollo could chase this, this nymph that he could never possess. Um, so one, one of the things that that makes me think of is 
I think at this period of time in the, with this deck in, it's not just about your charisma. It's about any type of energy leakage where you're trying to get what you want. And sometimes, you know, when we pursue something too feverishly, it can actually repel the object of desire too. And maybe Nemesis is helping to re restore proportion to our the way our desire nature too. That is saying, hey, you know, be careful how you leak energy. W one animal symbol that I think of with that is the skunk, right? You remember those like cartoon? Mm -hmm. Pepe Le Pew is trying to get the. He's like, oh, I love you. You're you're my cat. So that that to me that's like Apollo and Daphne, where the cat's like, I want no part of this skunk, right? So even though you're feeling like you may be very amorous, uh, there is a potential to repel the object of your desire uh, with that Deccan as well. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, good point. Yeah, good point. What and the other thing about Eros is. Um, it was worshipped in ancient times in fertility cults. So I thought that spoke to the creative essence of, you know, the sun being exalted in Aries as well as in the Northern Hemisphere that that's, you know, the spring equinox sign, you know, the new growth, the, the um, creation um, symbolism. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I just got done doing my, Aries Deccan's webinar, and there, there's so many fascinating things that came up with that. And, you know, the, the process of individuation, the, the, the young growth of, of spring in the Northern Hemisphere, just this like drive to uh, differentiate and, and crack the seed hull, basically, you know, and, and you proliferate. Um, so I, I think that we're still going through that, that phase of like saying, hey, this is who I am. I'm announcing this is the new thing that, that we're experiencing. Um, mm -hmm. I always have to kind of wonder, though, like, you know, every time we talk, it's it's interesting because your your seasons are flipped, you know, and, and I what is airy season like in Australia? Right. Um, it's like one of my favorite seasons because we've come through the heat of summer, you know, we might get our, our, you know, autumn break at some stage perhaps if we're lucky and it starts getting green again um, and it's busy. We're changing, you know, I guess on farming communities, spring and autumn are really busy because we're changing our crops over, which involves a lot of digging, a lot of like reap, uh, harvesting, a lot of turning soils. Um, and the big rush to like get all your, your new seeds and seedlings in. So it's very busy and it's a really great time of year. Um, so there, there, I still feel that sense of newness mm -hmm. um, in that Aries month, you know, despite it coming into autumn, because I look at it as, oh, we get to plant new seedlings for winter because right. we can yeah. grow over winter here like it's you know winter crops we we do have winter crops so um you know we're more temperate in our climate so yeah, yeah it's this this uh very very curious to see how the symbols play out um when it's not necessarily connected to the exact same seasonal uh progression right Mm -hmm. but it sounds yeah. like there's still some of that that archetypal energy that, that gets that's right projected onto it very cool that's right yeah um jennifer is asking are you all going to isar 
Shu, are you going to Isar this year? Um, I'm not. I'm not going to Isar. Yes, bit uh, <laughs> too far for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Shu has a legitimate excuse being on the other side of the world. I haven't quite decided if I'm going to go yet. I still am a little um, easing my way back into uh, public society and uh, going to a conference with thousands of people is maybe a little bit difficult for me mentally so that's that would be my excuse if i don't go uh, i do enjoy connecting with the astrological community though and i had a wonderful wonderful time at the united astrology conference uh, a few years ago which is sort of like the the olympics of of astrology conferences it was huge um, so i would recommend going to an astrological conference like isar if you are able to uh, it really is a nice experience to get to know people and, and connect and, and just um, see the faces behind the screens, you know, that we're living on at this point. Uh, and Joey is stopping in saying hello from Ipsy. Oh, oh hello from, from the same town that, that we are in. So thank you for, for joining, Joey. It's, it's oh, wow. a, a local here today. Uh, cool. All right, Shu. So we've gotten through Eros. I think we've uh, covered Nemesis, um, you know, restoring right proportion. Um, what I what I would like to do next, if you're amenable, is I would like to just touch briefly on the quarter moon, and then because I think we've talked a little bit about we've talked about the eclipse, but let's talk about this quarter moon a little bit. Um, we have the moon at three degrees of Aquarius and the sun at three degrees of Taurus, so. Remember, we were talking about that those existential crises where we are maybe changing our mind about something, where we're releasing light or releasing something to prepare for the next cycle. Uh, what do you see here in our last quarter moon? Well, one thing that's striking is that the moon has had to pass through Pluto to get to that third quarter. So where it was squared the Pluto at the full, it's now pretty much at, yeah, had, has had an encounter with Pluto. Right. So it's almost saying that, you know, whatever tensions or that being the bonnet that was revealed at that full moon that we may not have had made, make, you know, made decisions about, we're now maybe feeling it more viscerally now when we're um, in that existential crisis kind of moment of like feeling maybe a bit helpless about what changes you can and can't make uh but really feeling into that maybe through our rhythms our cycles our stomachs our dreams you know really getting that real world visceral feeling of it yeah yeah i think i think you're right i think that you know anytime you've got moon pluto you're going to feel it in the body somehow potentially right you know in the, mm -hmm. in the gut in in all of those places that are maybe hidden as well um yeah. i think I, I to piggyback off of that contact with pluto i think that if if some kind of potential conflict arises with moon pluto the transition from the moon in the third decan of capricorn to the first decan of aquarius maybe where we're feeling a little bit alienated um, from our the things that would normally bring us comfort so i i feel like the, an additional 
uh, signification with this last quarter moon is maybe we're feeling a little bit out of place and that's making it difficult to make material plans moving forward. Um, you're also seeing Saturn making an overcoming square to Mercury. And one thought I had with that is that just potentially like collective challenges, maybe, uh, you know, making it difficult for us to deal with some of our, our uh, material realities. Does that make sense? Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, well, I, I, when I see Saturn and Mercury together, it always makes me think of, um, like, you know, well, I see a lot of difficulties with hearing in charts. Like people that have a um, Saturn-Mercury square often have, like, problems with hearing, I find. And, like, to take it from a transit perspective, you know, it almost could look like communications looking more bitter or like maybe some writer's block or communication blocks or not being able to say what you really feel or in a way that you really want to say it. Um, and so my take on this third quarter moon with the whole Pluto connection with it too is that maybe it is a time to purge and release, like whether you want to clean out your cupboards, do a deep spring clean, but as a metaphor for spring cleaning yourself and that silent silence like practicing silence is going to help avoid some of these communication faux pas that mm -hmm. is potentially coming about from the Saturn Mercury square so yeah. and that kind of links to your links um animal yeah. right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We've, we've got a an animal spirit that we pulled for this um this lunation um and we'll Hold on, I just, before we get to that, I just want to just briefly, briefly touch on this shoe, yeah. just to show people what we're, the culmination of this lunation is going to be. So here on April 30th is that new moon solar eclipse with Venus and Jupiter coming together. Uh, you know, you've got Saturn in a whole sign square, but it's not super close. Um, do you have any like super brief thoughts on this eclipse as far as like what we could expect? I think this, I think we're going to get away with this. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to be as intense as other eclipses, maybe because Venus is, you know, uh, you know, with the benefic, the great, you know, Venus and Jupiter are together and they're both in great signs. So, and it's, you know, that North Node eclipse, which is, you know, I guess seen to be more um, beneficial than, say, a South Node eclipse. Increase, I think right? we're going to. Yeah, increase, yeah. I, I think the curly one is that that Uranus is there and I guess we've all really had to deal with Uranus somewhere in, in the Taurus houses in our chart for the last four years or so. Um, so I think it, it's about embracing as much fluidity um, as you can in your foundations. That will be a really helpful thing for the eclipses moving forward in this science yeah, I mean, of Taurus and Scorpio. Make an adjustment, you know, like uh, you may have to shake up your routines a little bit, but yeah. it could be a really great thing. I mean, Venus is at its degree of exaltation. around Exactly. Too, so it's. Yeah. Like if you think of that situation of say my art thing, um, I totally had to shake up my routine. I had to move mountains to get there, had to work out how I was going to get the kids looked after for the whole day and night and like drive two hours there and back. And, you know, it was a complete 
shake up a routine. However, the excitement and exhilaration and the inspiration that I got from that was well worth it. So that's what Uranus can bring if you're willing to just have a go and be open and flexible to it. Yeah. Well, and you know, all the, the efforts may hopefully will pay off I, I, this actual date. Um, I might be closing on a, a home. Ah, so <laughs> this wow, is like, what a great date too. Uh, this is, you know, you know, all of the effort may pay off, hopefully. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so whatever you're going through right now, if you're moving mountains, there may be, uh, you know, sort of a, I don't know. I don't know if I would call it a reward because it's more of a beginning, you know, it's, it's just mm-hmm. a, 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 a mile marker that could feel like the culmination of some kind of longly cherished dream. Um, cause that third deck in a Pisces is that 10 of that 10 of cups card with the, the, the rainbow, you know, like the happy ever after type of thing. So I, I really do think that there's potential for something really beautiful at this, um, eclipse, although I, I will temper enthusiasm and expectations though, because eclipses can be wild cards. So, you know, there's yeah. definitely potential for there to be like a, yes, there's this beautiful thing but here's the catch (laughs) so yeah yeah true and with jupiter and venus there you know venus ruling the eclipse we always have to be cautious of our desires being too excessive um taking on too much and Uh. wanting yeah and especially with the north node it's this insatiable consumption yeah. And so so that's one thing that we need to really be on top of, that do we really need it? Like are, are we just being consumerous? Um, because- so, you're, so you're telling me not to start multiple remodeling projects at the same time? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. that's- Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. I, yeah, I've, been, I've been joking with my my partner about like, you know, people that have gotten involved with like heavy drugs that love to do like home remodeling projects like like with meth or something where you're just like let's start you get all methed out then you start a remodeling project <laughs> then you just like forget about it and your house is in this constant state of like chaos mm-hmm. uh, yeah. so don't do meth kids and also don't remodel every if you're going to remodel something in your house do one thing at a time you know <laughs> like and make sure you have the resources to to carry it through to completion right yeah that's right don't be greedy basically. right exactly exactly um mm-hmm. okay so i'm looking at the chat here jennifer says uh thank you i was hoping to connect with a fellow nightlight astrology student but totally understand well jennifer i haven't completely ruled out going to esar yet i'm just you know Right now, it's <laughs> that seems so far away to me right now, with all of the things that have been going on in my life and all the changes. So, uh, you know, talk to me in a month or two. We'll see what happens. Um, Dimphy is thanking us for reminding them of, of the other hemisphere and, and the experiences there. And then Raven says, "I'm a Mercury Saturn square native, and getting my thoughts into words is often very hard." Um, yeah. yeah. For sure. But it makes me very good at it as an overcompensation. I, I do find people are very careful and meticulous about what they say because they've really had to work on it. And that Mercury Saturn is such a great time actually to do anything that requires a great deal of concentration and focus. So if you've got, you know, stuff to do like your tax or something like that, right. you know, something that requires attention to detail, you, know, you can use that transit. Yeah. 
Absolutely. There's always ways to utilize things. Uh, sometimes it just requires quite a bit more effort, but those are character building experiences, you know, like sometimes if what, what sometimes astrologers will describe as, I don't know if I would even call it a deficiency, but just a challenge. Uh, it mm -hmm. forces you to, like you were saying, to compensate for that and to work that much harder to, to bring that into fruition. So it's mm -hmm. all, it's, I think on some level, it's, a, it's up to us to like, you know, be able to embrace whatever, you know, we've got going on in our chart. And it's like, are you, are you going to fold with that aspect or are you going to cultivate some new awareness? Right. All right. Um, okay. So that's, I think that's what we've got for the, the lunation cycle here. I'm going to stop my share for a minute here. Um, so shoo, let's talk, uh, the animal spirit that we've been alluding to throughout this whole, uh, talk here and wrap things up with an, with an I Ching. So the animal spirit that we were discussing, uh, that, that I, I pull these randomly. I kind of have this book that I just kind of close my eyes and for the, for the lunation, uh, we got the lynx, which is a, uh, a, an interesting animal that, that is, you know, we see in Northern climates, they have these really big paws that they can creep very slowly on top of the woods, almost like, or on top of the snow, sorry, um, like snowshoes. And so, so there's some association with the lynx and being a possessor of some kind of ancient knowledge because they are very silent observers, you don't see them all the time. They're very good at camouflage. They're very good at blending in. They hunt these giant like rabbits, these hares in those climates. Um, so they have to like sneak up on them because hares are extraordinarily fast. And uh, if they, they don't play their cards right, their food will escape instantly. So um, one of the things that comes up with the lynx is uh, that the lynx is the guardian of secrets. So there's many themes about becoming worthy of trust, uh, about like if someone tells you something in confidence that that, that is something that you're entrusted with. Um, this is an animal that I actually work with uh, personally quite a bit. And I have, I have had experiences where people tell me their deepest, darkest secrets. I mean, this is part of the work of being an astrologer. And the the... The lesson I've learned from the lynx is you, you have to just, you don't have to do anything with that knowledge sometimes. You just, you just know it, observe it, be with it, right? Sometimes you are a sounding board for people and that's enough. You, you don't always have to offer uh, a resolution to it. Does that make sense? Sometimes the clarity mm -hmm. is enough. And the other th observation I'll make with that is that the repercussions of breaking a trust can be quite um, more intense if you've made this agreement to, to, to be worthy of that trust. If you do go ahead and break it, th there are repercussions. And I think that that's something to consider um, with this animal as well, is maybe there's something, some knowledge where we need to just sit on it, where we don't have to like proclaim, you know, out to the world, like what we know. Um, we just have to, like you were, you've been saying over this whole talk, like just just watch, just be the watcher, you know, just silently observe, right? The power of silence. What do you, any experiences with this animal or reflections? Well, I think it really fits with that third quarter moon because 
you know, it is that process in in processing um, phase of that moon where we're thinking of a succession where um, we're trying to finish up what we've started. You know, it's that closure kind of situation. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so much of it resonates with that Mercury Saturn square, which is pretty much the strong as- the strongest aspect of this third quarter moon this okay. for that for next week. Yeah. Yeah. And I did actually write as well because I, I write all my articles a bit ahead of time. And one of my things that I wrote was to keep your secrets close. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that you've come up with that, too, with the links um, yeah. association. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's. um synchronicity right i mean sometimes mm-hmm. when we're t- if we're tapping into uh similar collective uh emanations we'll get it in various forms right that's why i don't get overly attached to system and form um i respect it and i want to be organized but the divine can speak in a lot of different languages so i think that that's important to keep in mind um so the hexagram that i got reflects some of these uh, challenges as well. I got number 61, which translates to inner truth, inner sincerity, um, trustworthiness. So that word came up again. Uh, conformity between the inner and the outer. I thought that was that was something I highlighted with this. Uh, I think that 61 talks a lot about listening in instead of using flattery, which which seems to really reflect Aries 3 and like trying to convince people of something versus just receiving and hearing them. And then we can find the solution, right? doesn't have to be like this, like erotic, like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to make you come over to my side. Right. It's no, it's just, it's just kind of like, no, let's figure out what the reality is objectively. And then we can, we can ascertain through our powers of nemesis, what, what would be the right proportion. Right. Um, and there was a changing line. It, it's changing to hexagram number 10, which is called treading, conduct, circumspe- circumspection, uh, treading carefully. They, they compare this to stepping on the tail of a tiger, which is a very dangerous animal. So we may be finding ourselves in a fairly dangerous situation that requires decorum or tact, right? Which which I could see with when we're in Aries season, there's a there's a battle that we're fighting on some level potentially, and we have to use our social graces with the full moon with uh, in Libra potentially to, to come out unscathed. So line number four says, the moon is nearly full. A paired team of horses, one abandons its mate, no blame. So I'll just go through my notes here and then I'll, I'll ask for reflections on this if, and see what you... What you think it says that things have progressed as far as they can without change it may be necessary to go your own way uh, and put self interest aside to do the right thing um, there may be higher ideals or noble goals that are calling uh, they specifically talked about adhering to your own values even if you have to leave others behind this is what they talk about with the the team pair of teamed horses separating um, I also wrote down inner truth is your source of freedom. Don't abandon it, your integrity. Uh, Seek advice from wise and experienced people, but ultimately you need to be guided by your own path and your own light. And then finally, the ties that yoke these horses together, this moon has the potential to be dissolving them. And that 
through that dissolving nature that we just experienced with Jupiter and Neptune, I think could also be a reflection, also Saturn, square the nodes, is maybe the, the connection that brought you together. Uh, there isn't the same impetus uh, because of the changes, there may not be something that is ho- holding that unity together. Does that does that make sense? Where uh, maybe because of the changes, you were you know there was a relationship that you had because a- another relationship was bonded, and then when that relationship dissolves, well, are you still friends or are you still? Is there still the inspiration to to keep going on the same way? And this seems to suggest to me that. Um, we're going to experience some changes in our relationships through this cycle, potentially. You've hit on that uh, throughout this talk today as well. Yeah, yeah. It made me think of actually the fixed star Arcturus. I mean, isn't that the knot that holds the two fishes together? Um, And so whether these changes, you you know, I think what you said um, doesn't have to be a literal manifestation, it can, it can be within you. Like maybe the binds that are holding you to others may be orientated differently. You may you may find other points where you can find common ground on with another person, right. for example. Um, but yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I, I, lo- I love bringing that, the knot of Pisces in there, right? The Al, Al- Russia of the third decan. Um you know, you, you, you've got this, these two different directions, this kind of aspirational quality of one of the fish and the other one gliding along the ecliptic. And how do you, how do you marry your vision with, with the mundane reality, right? How do you keep those ties together? And maybe there is a severing in that, that cord on some level. Um, and then the new situation that we're coming into, you know, requires uh, being very careful I think that that's the thing, like I wrote down in my notes about hexagram number 10, uh, it's very important to walk cautiously, especially if you find yourself in a difficult situation, behave appropriately, plan your moves in advance, like which I think is is good to, so that you're not like, you know, kind of going off in an Aries fashion, like where you're just like, ah, I'm just, you know, throwing my energy everywhere, right? Um, and maintaining poise and composure, I thought that that reflected the third decan of, of Libra quite a bit because you could see in that, that yeah. card, there's this this calmness yeah. that is necessary. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, totally. That's our that's our yeah, great. and our animal. Amazing. Yeah. In the, late in the game here after going to the farmers market today and r- running the farmers market today, my. Lovely partner Tanya is a farmer's market manager. So uh, she's checking in in the chat saying, Hi, Shu. Hi, Spencer. Hello, Tanya. Hello. Hello through the wall. It's always fun and meta. Um, well, any any other final thoughts for, for uh, our audience today, Shu, or, or reflecting on this, on this lunation cycle? Well, I guess we can all, if it all gets too intense, look to Venus because she is supporting, she's offering support. You know, it's okay to check out for a little bit of Venusian pleasure if things get too much, like, you know, book in a massage or like just go out and have a quick drink with a friend or something like that. 
you know, it's okay to just check out and take that little break if you have to. Mm, from from your mouth to hopefully to, to my ears. You know, like, uh, um, I'm looking forward yeah. to uh, a little bit of a, a respite uh, this weekend coming up and some processing. Um, again, I, I want to thank you for being here today, Shu, and for being, you know, a, a wonderful support system. And thank you, everyone that showed up in the chat today. Uh, I, I'm a little bit embarrassed about losing my emotional centeredness at the beginning. But um, when you're going through something as, as ten, intense as that, I think that maybe there's a little bit of grace we can give one another in regards to that. Um, but I want to just extend my gratitude for the people that come to these to come to these live streams that are part of the astrological community in general. Um, I really do receive a lot of wonderful support just by connecting with people like Shu, people like you in the in the chat, people that are listening. And I just want to say that I think that it's really important not to take all those things for granted. And things like like uh, the transition of death really helps you appreciate some of those things. And if there's one thing that I really like to share, especially with the third deck or the second decan of Taurus, where we're seeing the, the eclipse happening coming, is gratitude. I think that that's just the I think the most important thing with that coming up is just be grateful for the people that you have in your life and the time that you have with them, and don't ever for one second take it for granted. Um, because the time that we have here together is short and, uh, I think it's important to make the most of it. So that's what I've got here for today for all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And, you know, be sure to check out Shu at, tell me your website against Shu. Uh, it's intersparkle.com. It's I-N-T-E-R-P-S-Y-C-L-E.com. Uh, and you can find all the links there and um, feel free to sign up to my weekly news that I'm doing this year. It's been going really well, actually. So, um, but other than that, yeah, check out the Victorian Astrologers Association. They're all online now and I'll be giving a talk in June on the Synodic Cycles and I'll be starting my Kepler five-week solar returns course in July. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, and you know, a final plug, if you're interested in learning about the Deccans of Taurus, uh, you can sign up for that on my website, spencermichelle.com. Um, and the, the Deccans of Aries is now in the store if you wanted to uh, check that out too. Um, one huge favor that all of you can do before we leave here is uh, if you're not subscribed to the channel, please subscribe. Uh, if you can hit that like button for us, that really helps us to get this message out to more people. And finally, if you'd like to make a material donation to the show, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. All right, my friends, that's what I've got for you today. Thank you so much for everyone, uh, all of your beautiful comments, all of your words of support. Uh, again, appreciate all of you. And uh, we will see you the next time. I will have a, a guest on the, to be determined for the eclipse in Taurus. And um, in the meantime, remember to be kind to one another. Uh, especially when the energy gets intense. And most of all, be kind to yourself because you're going to emanate that peace and that kindness out uh, from the inside out. So that's what I've got. Uh, take care, everyone, and we'll see you the next time. Bye. -bye.